Hello, welcome back to Out of Our Heads, a comics and pop culture podcast from the minds of Joe Bortner and the silver medal Olympic athlete, but gold in our hearts, Nick Protopapis. You know, I was awfully sad when they discontinued um, ski dancing from the Olympics. <laughs> I wasn't particularly excited. On the other hand, my silver medal is forever now. It's a forever medal. Yeah. If you look up who won the silver medal, I won the silver medal. Yeah, exactly. And really, when you think about it in the grand scheme of history, uh, when you think of like all the accidents that have happened to those other medal winners, bronze and gold, you know, you're the only one that that's still alive. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, my my hips still popping, still locking. I yeah. can do almost anything on skis, but dancing is what I'm best at. That is uh, damn impressive. Thank you. I get that a lot, but thank you anyways. Yeah. I mean, I'm my, my, I can't do anything with any part of my body, so. <laughs> Super cool. Hey, Joe, today, today I have a new setup. Um, yeah. Set up here. So I think it's, it's going to be a new era of, of podcast for us. Let me tell you why. Okay. Well, in the first place, I, I got rid of my desk today, sort of. So it's not in my room. So now I'm at the like little nightstand I have. So I feel kind of like, you know, when you like are a big kid or, or an adult, whatever, whichever, and you get mm-hmm. into a tricycle, you know what I'm talking about, or the little bikes, and you're like, let me just try. And your like knees sort of hit up at the handlebars and you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, no, I know exactly what you're talking All about. All right, well, that's, that's what's going on with me. But I also got myself water as to your suggestion. And I have the book in front of me, which I almost never do because you lent it to me yeah and and i have a new microphone so i'm feeling pretty 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 good yeah i bet i've also got some water with me uh i my my desk is at a normal height uh just before the show you know i pointed out that i was drinking water and you said oh man water that never occurred to me to to drink that during a podcast and it it never did so if i sound way like what smoother? I don't know. What does water do to you? Wetter? If I sound smoother, more energized. If I sound juicier to you. You know why? I think I've heard a lot of podcasts sort of refer to uh, their special podcast juice, which I think is often sort of alcohol is mixed in there. Mm. Uh, but for us, it's just water. <laughs> we're we're podcast cool juice. like that. Cool. Yeah. Could you grab my uh, podcast juice? I think. <laughs> That's pretty good. No, I I can't believe I've never thought of actually having water. So this is gonna be great. Yeah, I'm uh I'm glad you have it. I'm glad I have it. I'm gonna have the stamina now to yeah to, to podcast, but also to like ski dance while I podcast. I can do both. I can do anything. Water has like five different nutrients, maybe ten, fifteen. Who knows? Fifteen nutrients could be. Nick, I've uh I've realized something. Oh, sorry. Yes. What, what have you realized? I thought you were just going to tell me. What, what have you oh, realized? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've got a new book out and I haven't talked about it on the show and I feel like I, I haven't really talked about it anywhere. Um, and I think that I should tell people about it so that I can actually sell copies because there's an online store. I have a, uh, a new book out. It's called Aeronaut Volume 2, The End Machine. It's uh, sort of the, the, the second half of my Aeronaut comic series, which I've been publishing for several years online. Uh, it's, it's, uh, got all the stuff you want. It's, it's a superhero comic. It's got some, uh, teen stuff, you know, teen drama, teen romance, whatever you're into. 
you know, uh, it, it, it's got some good art, I'd like to think. Um, and you can buy it now for only $15 on uh, gumroad.com uh, on my Gumroad store. Um, I will link that in the description and other places. Uh, and we ship anywhere in the U.S. Uh, so get your copy now. Yeah, Joe, I think that's that's totally fair of you to to do because you've talked about it so little that I I actually forgot that it was it was available. <laughs> I haven't I haven't myself played this one, so at the very least, you've turned to me. Excellent. Uh, yeah, uh, Nick, do you have a do you have a thing for me today? Yes, I do, Joe. Uh, today I have a very special um, treat, and it's a treat that was given to me, and and I I was very happy to receive it. So now I'm gonna I'm gonna share this treat with the world. Um, and I was like talking about all the shows I've watched recently, and I was like, yeah, you know, I feel pretty good about sort of the shows I've watched in life, basically. You know, I, I think I have a pretty broad range. And I was like, I'm just going to sit back and I'm going to watch anything Disney Plus produces now. That's my new plan instead mm-hmm. of ever looking for anything else ever again. Hey, um, hold on, Nick. Uh, I'd like to say before to get out in front of that, we are not sponsored by the Disney Corporation. <laughs> I want money. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> For <laughs> okay. <laughs> Anyways, um, and then your brother recommended this show called My So Called Life, which is not a great title for a show, I think, because it like, it just doesn't sound right. It sounds like you're talking about something, anything but a TV show when you say it. Um, mm-hmm. But it, I it's... sort of disagree. I think it has a certain uh, je ne sais quoi to it. No, it's just, it's like a little too long with too, too many short syllables in a row. Mm-hmm. My so-called life. Like it's, it's a little, it's not quite working, I think. And I, I know because I've been telling people about it, but you haven't, you haven't felt it on your tongue. Um, well, the show's actually really, really good. And it's sort of exactly the show I like to watch when it's not that good, like a stupid teen show, but it turns out to be really, really good. So I've been pacing myself and all that. I only watched like one episode a night. It's uh, essentially... A 40-minute drama from the 90s. So what that means is that it's got sort of ominous music in the background all the time. It also <laughs> means that everything looks like it's Captain America the Winter Soldier because it's gray and like slightly bright sometimes. But mainly, like the first few episodes, I was like, what is going on? I feel like there's a filter on this show. And obvi- I mean, obviously there is, but like, you know, like I feel like it's not the no, right version. Uh... I don't think color grading existed until like the early 2000s. Really? So why does it look so gray? I maybe I, I have no idea. What I think they is. deliberately made the lighting like that is what that means. Uh, that's insane to me. Anyways, it's you know, and it's got it's got some some pretty pretty out there characters who all have a drama every episode and you know, it's it's essentially about a teen girl and her struggle to to fit in. Recently, mm-hmm. She's abandoned her old friends, her old nerd friends, and acquired some new cool friends. One one of which is uh, named Rayanne, and she's kind of the wild child. She, uh, you know, she has she has braids, and you know, she does crazy things. She does crazy things like, like talk to random people on the street and and go to crazy parties. Um, Whoa! I know, and she's totally those are two things. things that I would never do. I I mean, she's totally crazy. She's off the rails, but she's so much fun. Um, and she's actually a nice lady. And then um, there's a third friend who's sort of... I actually forgot his name. But he hasn't been interesting so far. But the way this show treats characters makes me think he will be. 
Uh, he's like, he's a bisexual, you know, Latino kid. Like that seems at least a little crazy for the nineties. Um, yeah. That's the type of character that, you know, we don't even really get now. Yeah. So. It's like, you know, he's like one of the three main kid characters, which is pretty cool. Um, yeah. And these all sound like uh, pretty stereotypical characters like, Oh, you know, the girl who's getting led along and you sort of expect, at least I expected those, you know, the conflict of the first few episodes to be like, Oh, the cool girl does something too crazy. And the, you know, the regular girl's like, oh, like, this is too crazy for me. Like, I can't believe you did this. Like, you manipulated me. What's wrong with you? But, you know, um, it's not really like that. Like, you get a real sense of, like, moderation in all the characters. Like, yeah, she's like that, but she's not crazy. You understand why everyone's friends. You understand all the conflicts feel very natural. Um, and so it makes these sort of stereotypical and, like, a little out there characters feel totally like they're in a real world. Um, which is super cool. And that, that extends to like her relationship with her dad and her mom, which is some of the more interesting stuff in the show. Like it starts and you're like, oh, the dad's cheating on the mom. That's the plot here. And then it's like they sort of make that go away uh, and instead focus on the resentment of the daughter that she gets from thinking that. But that's actually not really the reality of the situation. It's not even a fake out really, but it, you know, it, it just shows that the show is more focused on on the emotions and the, the character drama instead of like trying to be too crazy about like, Oh, like the dad's cheating. Like, Oh, like the crazy party, like the drugs. Like, it's not like it doesn't have to do crazy plot things to drive the character stuff. And the character stuff sort of just works on its own, um, mm -hmm. which is pretty great. And it makes it feel sort of like, well, it makes it feel, makes it feel like more important when something crazier does happen. Like you, you, you get, a, you know, you, you feel, you feel very excited by the, the, the day to day stuff. So I think that what's going to happen is when crazy stuff does actually does happen, you really feel the stakes and the tension. Um, and I'm really enjoying it. I'm really, really enjoying it. It's, it's one of the best shows I've seen. Probably. It reminds me a lot of freaks and geeks. Um, that was uh, something I was going to bring up. I was going to be like, does this give you the same vibes as freaks and geeks? Cause that's what it totally sounds like to me. Yeah, it is a little different. I don't, I don't know how. Freaks and Geeks a lot of times sort of feels like a movie, you know, mm -hmm. like it's very pretty. It's very, um, you know, ahead of its time. Like, or when did Freaks and Geeks come out? Actually, ninety nine, I think. Oh, weird, because it looks so much better than this show. I, I, this mm -hmm. show, I think, like Freaks and Geeks feels feels like one of those things. Like, oh, like it was so good. Like it seems like a show that should be on streaming. Like it's. It's so ahead of itself, I, I guess, if that makes sense. And like the way things are filmed, it's like very advanced. Um, but here, everything feels a little more grounded and, and regular. I'm not sure if that's better or worse, but I like that it's a different vibe. Cool, yeah. I'm down. I'm going to watch this. I was going to watch it anyway. My brother's been watching loads of it. <laughs> yeah, it's on, um, it's on ABC for free, but there's too many ads. Too uh -huh. many. So I actually bought it. But oh. I know I well because the thing is, it's so short. It's so short that I was like, if I don't decide to buy it now, it's not going to be worth it in like three episodes. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I just decided early on. It's it feels so good to be older and wiser. That's not something I would have done even two years ago. I would have just watched it and like, well, it's not worth it now. You live and you learn. Yeah, that, that's um, that's something I wish I had done with freaks and geeks which i think is now not available like anywhere on streaming um because of the situation with like the music rights in that show 
Mm. Um, and so Freaks and Geeks, I think, is just, you know, unjustifiably expensive in any like way you could track it down, which is frustrating because that's a show I really want to own. Yeah, that sucks, man. Yeah, I just I I guess it's also got canceled. This show did um, my so called life, um, uh, and I'm you know I'm just curious how you know what sort of ending it's gonna have. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, maybe I'll uh, I'll be back here next week and I'll be talking about my so called life. That would be cool. Then we'd both be talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be talking about slightly later episodes. Yeah. Oh. Good stuff. Um, my thing for you this week, um, I, I'm I'm gonna need to take back what I said earlier about Disney not sponsoring us. Not because they they're like they aren't sponsoring us. That that hasn't changed in the ten minutes since I said that. Um, but I am talking about a product that is, uh, I think, to some extent, under the stewardship of the the Disney Corporation. It's a Star Wars video game. Oh, cool. Uh, it's called Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. Um, so this is a game that my brother, uh, bought last year and I initially dismissed it, uh, because I thought it looked not that fun. Um, but a couple weeks ago I was, I was, uh, casting around for things to do, uh, that week instead of studying for finals. I think that plan turned out okay. Cause I've got my grades in and they, they seem to be good. Um, uh, and I realized that this game, uh, was still downloaded on the PS4. Um, and I booted it up and I realized that it's actually pretty fun. Um, so you play as this dude, uh, who looks like, uh, Archie from Riverdale. What? It, it, is it Archie? I don't think so. Okay. He just looks like, you know, that version of Archie. Um, which, you know, this game, I think surpasses, uh, that very bad first impression. <laughs> um and you know you find out that this guy used to be a a padawan before the empire took over he's working in in some kind of scrapyard planet uh before things go south and most of the game is is him adventuring around with uh a little droid buddy that he makes um or sorry he makes the friends with the droid buddy he did not create the droid buddy um and uh uh they're exploring like ancient planets and stuff and, and and finding out uh things about the star wars universe um and so so the the it bears the most resemblance to um to metroid for me do you, do you know what metroid is i don't know what metroid is okay so that's like this nintendo series uh where you play as this character who's exploring planets and discovering lost civilizations um and it's it's sort of uh non-linear um so because you always have to like you'll get a new power and then you'll have to go to previous locations to discover like what you can do with that power. And then that will help you discover new parts of the area that you're exploring. All right. So is he, is he like a force character? Yeah, he is. All right. Um, so you sort of discover new force powers. Um, and, uh, and you know, this game has a lot of that. Um, but your power-ups are... are lightsaber parts or the force abilities that I mentioned um, instead of like missiles uh, or whatever. Um, And uh, uh, that's really fun. Um, I think the game in general is like much more difficult than those Metroid games ever are. Um, Like pretty much anything can kill you. 
uh, like you, you land on a planet in your spaceship, you walk, you walk outside, they're like, oh, it's a little cute animal, you're dead. Um, and that's how the, this game works, <laughs> um, which is sometimes annoying, uh, but it can also make it really satisfying to learn how the game works um, and, and how to actually uh, beat an enemy or a boss. Um, like it's frustrating at first, uh, but then you, you finally sort of overcome that challenge. Um, and that's a cool thing I find in games. Um, you know, uh, the main side downsides of the game, uh, it's, it's pretty buggy. Uh, like I, I went to the, the Wookiee homeworld of Kashyyyk, um, at one point and there was a cutscene, uh, and the game just broke. Like, like it, it started freezing and then I had to like shut down the console and reboot it. Uh, so that was pretty bad. Um, and other times I would just be walking around and the game, uh, would just like, I'd, I'd drop through the floor. <laughs> uh, so I think it's kind of a shoddily made game, but it's like well-designed if that makes sense. Yeah. Like it looks nice. Yeah. It's like, it's very fun. It's very nice looking, but it's also held together with like duct tape and enthusiasm. Okay. Fair. Um, you know, uh, stuff that you would like. Um, it does a bit of stuff with like the the Clone Wars lore. Whoa! Um, what? Yeah, please. Uh, the race of people that like Ventress and Darth Maul are from are in it. You visit that planet. Um, cool. I, I was I was very taken aback by that. I thought they were all um, dead. I don't think any of them have shown up yet in the place where I am, so I'm not sure if they are. Um, okay, that, that that lines up then. Yeah, there might be something. Um, so far, I've just encountered like monsters in that area. Um, anyway, uh, I'm not like so far enough in the story to make a judgment on it. Uh, but to me, right now, it seems more kind of like passable video game storytelling. Um, instead of like, whoa, this blew me away. Um, you know, nothing's really hooked me yet. Uh, there was a twist that I saw coming from a mile away. And then it happened, and I was like, "Well, that happened." Um, but I think I, I think like the core gameplay of exploring the planets and sort of Jediing around uh, is really very good, um, and it, it does a great job on uh, selling me sort of the vibe of, of being a Jedi and, and uh, fighting in Star Wars. Um, so I think I do recommend it because of that. It does seem to be very long, though. Like I, I'm. You know, I don't know how much my my video game endurance will last on this one. Yeah, that's um, I didn't actually know about that. Is that like part of the canon? Yeah, it's from last year. Huh. So that's it's set, I think a few years after episode three. So there's another um, another Jedi guy out there. Yeah, that's crazy. Pretty crazy. And they keep they keep throwing more in there. <laughs> yeah. Kinda I don't know. Maybe ruins the mystique of episode four. Yeah. I think I mean I think, they just kept they keep setting content there. And then yeah. they just like need a need a force character. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's, I, I think um I don't know, that would hurt me more if I if I cared more about the plot of the original trilogy. Yeah. Yeah. I think we've just outed ourselves as people who don't care much about the original trilogy in Star Wars. I mean, <laughs> I don't think we can say that, obviously. I don't think that we can say that on the air or anything, but... Yeah. You know, we can heavily imply it. 
I think they're fine movies. I think there's a lot of cool artistry in those movies. Cool. Yoda, crazy character. Who came up with Yoda? How'd they do it? I'm impressed. Cool. <laughs> Shall we move on? I think it's a good time. Okay. Uh, today, Nick, we're talking about a pretty important comic from 2012. It's Saga Volume 1 from Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples. Yeah. Um, Who are these strange strange people, Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples? Uh, well, you know, uh, Fiona Staples, a uh, great artist. Um, I am unfortunately struggling to think of her works before this off the top of my off the top of my head, just because, like, you know, she's been working on this for as long as I've been aware of her. Uh, <laughs> you know, Brian K. Vaughn has written a bunch of stuff. He wrote the original run of Runaways, which is a book that uh, we all know that Nick and I like very much. Um, he wrote Paper Girls, which is a series I like. And he also, you know, did a lot of work, I think, on Lost, the TV show, um, among many other things. Um, so he's a very well-known guy. Uh, Nick, do you have... <laughs> oh, she did some Archie. And then... Oh right, Archie. She did Archie. Yeah, um, and some stuff before that. But I think this was probably one of her uh, first uh, major things. If I'm wrong, please correct me. Uh, she's incredibly talented. Uh, I don't want to. Yeah, I mean, I think it looks like she's done, you know, Archie, some other superhero stuff, and Saga. So right. Yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, Nick. Nick, what's your what's your experience with Saga? I have read Saga long ago when I was but a young buck, and I I think I understood it way less. I think this time was so much better for me um, because last time I like I would read it and I would understand it for one volume, and then the next volume would come out way later, and I would kind of keep reading it and I would know the characters really well, but forget what was going on. Um, and just reading the first volume in a chunk like this again was nice because I, I just got to understand sort of this, this first arc and reintroduced to the characters. Um, and that was just like a really nice thing. It just brought me a lot of clarity. Um, so I enjoyed it. I enjoyed reading it again. Cool. Yeah. This is, um, this is my first time with saga really. Like I have, I've, I've flipped through it before. I think I've read chunks of the first issue here and there. Um, but I never, I never fully committed. Um, and and this was my uh you know I, I I went at the first volume and I enjoyed it. Um, yeah. So essentially, Saga is a classic story because it's the story of two warring peoples and uh, you know two two lovers within that within that realm who get together and represent hope for the future. So on one side, yeah, yeah. On one side, we have oh, it's also in space. It's like a crazy space fantasy adventure. This world is, it's, it's basically like adventure time for adults in space. That's how I would describe okay. it. Is, how's that description? I think I disagree with like parts of your premise there, but I think it's good at pitching it to people. Adventure time in the sense that any creature could show up and do anything. Sure, yeah. You know, and like magic powers that are new, you don't really question. You know, you just go. Yeah, yeah I, th I think we should. I think we should pick up on that con conversation. But yeah, you should introduce the premise of the book. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so on one side we have the the techie winged people who live on a planet, a big planet, biggest planet, 
And on the other side, we have the moon of that planet with the horn people who have horns and use magic. Um, and they're fighting. That's the deal. Uh, oh, wait, our characters. Who are Joe, who are our characters? Okay, so Saga is a comic about uh, these two former soldiers, Alana and Marco, uh, who are uh, you know from those two different alien species. Uh, Alana is one of the, the winged people, and Marco is one of the, the horned magic wielders. Um, and at the beginning of this book, they have a child, uh, and they name her Hazel. Um, and she narrates the whole story of how they raised her and how they were on the run from these two warring peoples. Um, and I, I think the, you know, the main hook, as you mentioned about Saga, is that there's so much stuff. There's so much genre in Saga, um, which I think makes it a very comic booky story, um, just in that, you know, like you said, anything can happen. Um, there's fantasy, there's sci-fi, there, there's uh, kind of some romance drama, um, there, there's, uh, you know, ghosts of, of uh, hippie 13-year-olds. <laughs> uh, it's a weird book. Yeah. There's lots of stuff that happens in Saga. There's like, you know, animal people too, like Zootopia style kind of. Right, yeah. Um, like, I mean, the thing I'm thinking of reading this again was sort of you turn the page, they're looking out on a cliff. And it's a whole spread of a turtle with like some sort of armored civilization on its back. And it's shooting lasers out of its mouth at some spaceships. Um, right. Is there a pterodactyl there or did my brain make that up? It could be. I mean, I would not be surprised. And that's that's the sort of world we're in, which is just super fun off the bat. Um, but it also makes yeah. me feel kind of scary and chaotic, especially when we go to like you know, I think the art is very good, or at least the design, you know, is very good at um, making things that are sort of ridiculous in that way, like kind of ominous or terrifying, depending on what, you know, the scene needs. Um, yeah. And I'm like, we're talking about all this and it sounds kind of fun and goofy, but like, like one of the characters in this book is like a bounty hunter named uh, The Stalk, right? And And she's like a spider woman with like six red eyes and she's like, got like she's like naked up top but she's like got this like total spider body down 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 (laughs) downstairs downstairs on her spider body and like she just looks kind of scary like kind of terrifying um and you know there's there's lots of examples of that yeah totally um you know to to backtrack a little um to, to something, you know, very specific, to the very first page of Saga. Um, Saga opens on a question that, you know, I've, I've had for years. Um, it first popped into my head when I was probably uh, six years old um, and still exists sometimes in the periphery of my brain. When someone gives birth, does it feel like you're taking a dump? This book would seem to imply yes. <laughs> uh, it does seem to imply that, and yet I still don't know the answers, Joe. I... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. Uh, Brian K. Vaughn probably has not given birth. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know if he did the research. <laughs> I'm not convinced. I just don't know. The mystery lives on. Yeah. Anyway, um, I, I, I think, you know, one of the one of the first things I noticed about Saga, besides um, just it having a, a very sort of confident voice from these two creators um and 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 all the the crazy genre stuff um is sort of it it can feel like kind of a very 
adolescent comic at times. Like you say that you came to it as a kid. Um, and it is like a comic for adults, which I think it is. Um, but at the same time, and, and I don't even think that's necessarily a bad thing, but I also think that it's so like core to what the comic is like, like I think, I think the, the best place to see that is like the dialogue. Um, characters say fucking shit, pretty much every sentence. Um, it, it feels like, you know, an 11 year old trying really hard to prove to you that they're an adult. Um, do you, I don't know. Do you agree with that? I, I do agree with that. I think that there's a lot of silly, not silly, but like dialogue that thinks it's pretty cool, but like, isn't, um, like kind of one-liners, I guess, but not exactly like, you know, the, the type of thing that is sort of stupid that a character might say right before they like kill someone else. Uh, it's, you're right. There's a lot of like swearing needlessly, a lot of like sex talk, a lot of like, I mean, just the opening, like, oh, I'm yeah. birth feels like pooping. It's like, haha, like, all right. Like there is sort of that vibe. It's not a big problem for me um, just because, you know, a lot of other aspects of the book appeal to me, but it's something I do notice. And I think it's also something that gets better as it goes. You can, you can see some real, like, you know, there is, there is real character stuff here behind, you know, silly dialogue like that. There's, you know, For sure. you can sense the connection between the two. There's lots of subtleties, uh, you know, like things like that sort of come into strength. And I, I think that, you know, despite that being a little silly, the overall thing that it's going for, like the emotions and, you know, the, the, the sense of the characters does, does come through anyways. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I also think that, like, the adolescent quality it has kind of carries through the whole book. And I don't think you'd get, like, the the giant war turtles, for example, uh, if you didn't have that other stuff. Like, it comes from the same sort of brains, you know? Mm, I see what you're saying. Yeah. I think, it's, like, part of the book's identity. Yeah, I, I think that Saga's really good at tone, and when things get more intense... Um, you know, I think you'll find that that stuff sort of fades fades away a little. Um, but I, I may be misremembering. I haven't read it for quite some time. Um, yeah. So I think an interesting aspect of this book that also kind of has that silly dialogue qualities, which is why I thought of it, is sort of like the the narration of of Hazel over the book. Uh, I think that's first of all like a really cool idea, like a narrator narrator starting at their birth, like. And, you know, it's called Saga. Like, you're, you're kind of, like, always wondering, like, where is this going, um, in a way? And that's, I think that's a really cool aspect, and it makes it feel, well, you're, you're kind of constantly left wondering what's going to happen just because you know that it's being narrated from ahead, which is, like, a really unique quality that I don't really find in anything else. Um, and just, like, in a way, like, these characters are just sort of living. Like, they're just a couple, like, in a crazy, weird world. And there's something Hazel says in this book in her narration, which is, I don't think, a stupid one, uh, where she says something like, you know, I grew up to be a pretty regular person, too. And you're sort of like, okay, like, you're, basically, she's telling you, I'm not going to be, like, the one or something. Like, my, you know, my birth isn't necessarily important to the, the universe or the world um, as much as is, this is just a story of my life, which is pretty interesting to me, because it seems like they're setting up some sort of, like, you know, hope for the future you know, like the, the, the promised baby of like, so much <laughs> fantasy stuff, but, but no. Um, so there's, there's a little like fun thing they do where she says, she gives little hints. Uh, I remember in a later book, she says something like, and that's the last time we ever saw that person or, or something along those lines. 
and you're kind of like ah like whoa <laughs> um and i think that's yeah. like a really cool aspect even though in that in that stuff there is sort of this, this angst this sort of like you're being silly and dramatic um in the narration as well mm -hmm. like obviously i think i know from later that, that hazel does like grow up a little um and, and like obviously there's a story about that um but like at this point she's not a character she's just present in the narration and also from being a baby um and so but i do think that it definitely adds like a lot a sort of a sort of oomph uh to the rest of the narrative uh that i i, I don't think it would be nearly as compelling without it um really just like one of the best choices they make actually is having that narration yeah i think it's really cool and i think it it keeps things really really interesting just you're just like you're just very invested in this in this small family yeah and it, it also definitely helps to keep things like sort of on theme just in like we're always sort of reminded of like oh and this is what hazel thinks about that or like this is how like her life sort of spun out from this um and so it doesn't just become like the adventures of these two people yeah um yeah I, I, what do you think of you know alana and and geez what's his name Marco. Marco, sorry, I really did Marco. know that one. Um, you know, I, I, I'm I'm sort of friends with them because I read a lot of their stuff. But, but what do you think? You know, coming in for the first time. Uh, I like them. You know, I don't know if I have any strong thoughts. I think they have sort of a fun little character dynamic right now. Um, I was, I guess, the thing to, that that sort of I noticed about Saga on this run through. Um, which is probably like very obvious. Um, it's just sort of the 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 pacing through which the characters are working. Like like it's both a very decompressed book in that like not a lot happens in these first six issues. Um, but also like the characters go through a lot of beats. Um, and so I think that's something that I definitely find mostly appealing about. I think Brian K. Vaughn's writing because this is something that's present in his other books. Um. You know, I don't know if I have thoughts about them as characters, like, in particular. Yeah, um, um, on my revisit, I sort of really came to appreciate Marco a little more, because I forgot this, but he's sort of a, a pacifist in this book, or at least trying to be. Uh, right. I think that's pretty interesting as a character trait, um, because it... Can I, can I ask you about, like, a particular moment? Uh, sure. Okay, so at the beginning of the book, one of the, basically one of the first things we learn about Marco is that he is a pacifist. He's got this sword, um, and he is sworn to never use it again. Um, and he gives up on that pretty quickly. Um, like, it, I think it's the end of issue four, where he he draws the sword, uh, basically because they've decided that they, they've reached a point of no return, where, where they can't survive uh, the situation they're in unless he does so. Um, and it, it, it felt almost anticlimactic to me. Like, how, to what degree is, like, are those sort of beats carried forward with him? I don't remember. I really don't. Um, I disagree okay. with anticlimactic. I mean, it's a, it's a tough moment for him, and you see him sort of lose control. But afterward, there's this, you know, that's afterwards he gives up his sword. That's the thing he does afterwards, after, as a result of, you know, coming to violence, is he essentially destroys any chance of a future where he might have to use a weapon again, at least mm -hmm. in that moment. So I, I actually think that wraps up really nicely. I'm not sure what you mean. Um, I don't know. I think it. I think it struck me weirdly in the moment. I might need to go back and reread it. There's there's another beat where they they say he says he's a pacifist, and the stock says that's interesting considering his history. Um, 
So I think there's sort of true. a violent history, and you sort of see that rage come out in him. Um, I I actually find it very interesting, and and the sword that you were talking about, I think, came from his family, which is which is why it was okay. important for him to destroy it uh, at the end. Yeah, you're right. Um, well, yeah. So I, I actually I I thought Marco was I think rereading Marco here was was super interesting to me. Uh, I think Alana is more of a sort of you know witty, like her wits sort of you know her dialogue is is a little what more attracts you at first. Um, but I I think that she gets explored a little more later, which is cool. Mm-hmm. We also have uh, the the bounty hunter who's after them, uh, who's called the Will. Yeah, yeah. That's um, right. Um, and he's got a cat with him. The the lion cat. The lion cat. <laughs> yeah. Probably one of the best fictional ideas um, <laughs> in something from the last decade. There's a lot of good ideas I, in here, yeah. I love the lion cat. <laughs> Me too. I think it's a really funny bit. Um, but also just like a useful tool. It's, yeah. it's, it's good. It's one of those things that's like a tool, but also, you know, in some situations it's it's a hindrance. Like So it's... yeah. It it's it uh it ratchets up the narrative tension in a really good way in some scenes. Yeah, um, once you accept the lying cat can sort of just tell when someone's lying. Like it's it's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, and sort of in another book, it, the the tension would be, is this person lying? Uh, it becomes like, oh no, we know that they're not lying. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's cool. Um, yeah. Yeah, I I I, I really. I do like the lion cat. It's fun. I guess, I guess we should explain a little, you know, the rest of this book is sort of each side of the, the war, um, making their, you know, they send someone to, to go essentially kill, kill the couple. And, um, that's, that's sort of a chase aspect to the rest of it. Like there's yeah. the prince of the winged people, or at least the prince of his people that are allied with them, the TV people. Um, that's probably what they're called. And, they have TVs for heads, and on the other side, there's like the bounty hunter we talked about, the spider lady, uh, and there's the what's it, you just said it. What's his name? The Will. Oh yeah. Um, and I actually I think the Will was one of my favorite things about this book. Um, reading it because it's like it's such a good side plot where he's just like like what a totally unexpected turn for him to be hired to go kill them, and instead of that tension paying off, which it does in a couple other plot lines. He's just like he finds out he finds out that his ex girlfriend is going to kill them too, and he's like, ah, oh, might as well give up now and use the, use the the money they gave me to go to sexy town. Yeah, but then he finds out that like you know basically there's a planet uh, where like there, there's a you know you go for a good time, um, but he finds out that they're doing child trafficking yeah. and he's upset about this. Yeah. And like that becomes his plot. I know, but it's so strange because you you come in and you're like, ah, oh, it's going to be the menace, and he he becomes so sympathetic so quickly. Like he's yeah, what he is actually is a guy who can't get over his ex girlfriend and thinks that that child trafficking is bad. Those are two very relatable things. Like I think <laughs> like him pretty quickly, and the lion cat hangs out with him. So it's like it's like it's it's just like a funny turnaround, and it's so interesting that this. It's like the only part of this book that just goes off the rails on a totally different like side quest. Um, yeah, and like the can I talk about the, the the moment where he finds out they're doing child trafficking because he like turns around and like sticks a guy's head between his hands and he squeezes and blows up the guy's head. Yeah, that was pretty cool. <laughs> um, I I 
I don't know. I, I think that that part for me, like I used to be like, I didn't like it as much because it made me uncomfortable. But this time I was like, I was like, that was pretty wild and unexpected and, you know, got to play in this fun world um, for a little. Yeah, yeah I think I liked. Sorry, let me jump this in because I was talking about like the way that the weird world can like work really well in certain scenes. And in this in this case, he's going to the sex world or whatever. And like the entrance is like two two very long womanly legs, except the, and there's just big heads on them, and it's it's like so terrifying, but makes so much sense. And I I just I really like that one too. Yeah, that's one of the I think like all timer saga visuals of just like oh this is something weird's going on here. Don't you worry about saga visuals; they'll they'll keep coming. <laughs> yeah, I mean that one. That's kind of an amazing splash page because it communicates so much within like an empty background and just like these two bizarre characters yes that's a good <laughs> one what is the sex town actually called uh i don't remember about sex actually i have the book you 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 do that and then you when you talk in the middle of your talking i'll yell out some some obscene word oh i mean i was i was gonna say something serious so i think we need some no i'm gonna actually look but it has a silly name Okay, yeah, I think um, I think you could make the argument uh, that like the 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 child trafficking bit, um, you know, probably not handled as delicately as it might need to be. Yeah. Also, I don't know. Um, no, you're right. It, it fits into that thing you were talking about, where it's sort of like, ah, I'm raunchy. Like, yeah, exactly. It's called sextillion. Holy shit. Um, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, there's a certain point where, like, you know, the book is so captivating in its energy um, that you just kind of go along with it, even though, like, you know, probably make some more ill-advised moves like that. Um, you know, not so much in terms of, I don't know, actually. Yeah, I think, like, a lot of, like, pilots or first anythings, um, this tends to be raunchy all at once, you know, without build-up. You know, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, a lot of other things you have to earn, but a lot of like pilot episodes sort of just have to show what they can do. So, you know, what you're getting into. Yeah. I think this sort of fits into that a little bit. It's just like, Hey, we're saga. We can do anything. Like watch out. Like we'll get you, you know? Okay. That's, that's interesting. Actually. I, I, I probably agree. Um, I remember like, you know, here's the deal about saga with me is that I, I first learned about saga because my mom started reading it when it came out. And at the time I was probably like too young for it. Um, so I knew it is like an adult thing uh, that adults read. <laughs> um, and I, I, I think, you know, uh, sort of talking to her now, sort of, she was blown away by it um, kind of because of the adult qualities. So I think that definitely like did help sell people on it. I think, I think you're right there. Yeah. I sell, but also just sort of like worn. I, I don't know. I, I think, <laughs> yeah. I'm. I this actually got me really excited to reread Saga, um, so I might do that. And it's pretty because it would it would be cool to read them all because I I read them as the volumes came out more or less. So there was a lot of like forgetting going on. I think I said that earlier, but it would be nice to sort of just see how it develops in one one you know closer reading order. Yeah, I mean, I'd be I'd be excited to like sort of go back to the book with you on the show. 
Yeah, I think we should. Yeah, these are these are pretty quick, so we could probably smush more together. I don't think uh, I would even want to. Like, I, I really, I like it. I like it this way. Okay. Also, I think we should say the covers are so good. The covers are so good. They are. The vision covers for, like, a small eternity, you know. Like, <laughs> these covers, yeah, these covers are the best. Like, you could put yeah, any of these April. covers on your wall. And I like the ones that are, like, not character focused. They're just, like, a leaf. Like, a little leaf. Like, those are so pretty, too. That's sick. Yeah, like, I think. Yeah. I think the first cover of Saga is, uh, you know, one of the landmark comic covers of probably the the two thousands. I you know you could you can go you can go bigger two thousand of the twenty of the twenty first century of all time. Yeah. yeah, man. Yeah, it's it's up there. It's, it's so good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, okay, like actually, it is it is the landmark comic book cover of the twenty tens. Uh, like, I I think that's a pretty easy statement for me to make. Yeah, I think it got a lot of reprints too, right? Yeah, it's one of those. Six. To me, it's it's one of the most like singularly iconic images when I think of of indie comics. Yeah, me too. Even just comics in general, and it's like very descriptive. If you like have been listening to us for a while, you know, like we blab on because all you really had to do was go look up this image, and you'll yeah. get what you need to get. I think. Exactly. It's like, it's yeah. such a communicative visual. She's got a gun. Um, he's got a sword. She's got wings. He has horns. Their baby also has horns, but it's obviously the mother is that, you know, it's got everything. Yeah. Um, you know, carrying on with the art, uh, the art's amazing. The art by Fiona Staples, it probably carries this book to some extent. Um, you know, I don't even mean that in a derogatory way towards the writing. It's just like the, the art blows you away and I think is what hooks you in. Yeah, I think it's great. There's one thing I'll say. Um, like, the colors are obviously awesome, and, like, you know, the characters are expressive. Everything's, you know, pretty pretty great. Um, one thing I'll say is that sometimes the line quality for, like, the difference between the backgrounds and stuff can be a little awkward for me. Yeah, make- I think I think Staples skimps on backgrounds at sometimes in the, at, like, times in this book. Uh, you can see that on Sextillion. You can see that in the parts where they're like in the cave or in the dark forest. Um, you know, uh, it it I think makes it like it helps it like those are locations where you it kind of helps just like the colors can give you an idea of the place they're in. Um, but it also means that we get a slightly less defined look at this world than I would like. Mm, yeah, it's just like that might be why but you know it's basically like the color is doing a lot of the work mm-hmm. um, so you get a good vibe like exactly what you're saying but like there's sort of this weird like not even not even to say exactly what you're saying but there's a weird disconnect because yeah you know, the other stuff has this dark inking lines around them uh, and the backgrounds are sort of they don't you know they're just colors so it it works a lot of the time for me in like nature um where it's like okay that's the background and like I can see everything because it's trees. Like it works really well for me. Uh, and then in buildings and stuff, and especially in what's his name? Ship. It's, the will. Yeah. It's not working for me basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's a I, good point. I think that this is the sort of thing that improves a lot as you go. Oh, cool. I mean, everything. Improves um, a lot. 
Nice. That's good to hear. So, um, yeah, the art gets, I, I think, much better. Because reading this, I was like, eh, this, is, this is shockingly not as good as I remember. So I, I, I have a feeling. Okay. And I, also, I already think, like, you know, to create a compliment sandwich here, um, her character acting is phenomenally impressive. Um, just like there, they, it has... I wouldn't even know even know how to describe it effectively. It's just some of the the you know the most captivating characters you're ever going to see in a comic book. Um, like like she balances kind of the the kind of more cartoony, rubbery aspects of these characters um, with with like the the more realistic style that she's working with. Yes, I would agree. Um, it's like. You know, I, I guess sort of you mentioned earlier that she did like the Archie reboot um, and that I actually did read. I somehow forgot about it uh, before we recorded. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, I, I think it makes sense that they put her on a book like this um, or sorry that they put her on that book um, because like the kind of character definition that you need in sort of a rom-com type thing like Archie um is just on full display here, um, along with everything else that's cool about her art. Like, she blends that kind of awesome character acting with, when we get to see them, really cool, like, cityscape or battle sequences. Um, even though it's not a very action-y comic, like, most of it is is them walking around and sort of having character interactions, which is something I like about it. Yeah, I think that's a totally fair description. Shall we move on to our dessert uh yeah let's do it uh nick it's that thing that we've done each and every week since starting this podcast we've uh we've always come back to it and this week we're we're settling the score once and for all uh how do domes work architecturally speaking neither of us can figure it out but we sure try uh, yeah, so theories that I come up this week are, well, I, I, you know, I had this dream, I had this memory come back to me about um, being a kid and, like, doing paper mache balloons. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, you know, maybe that's how domes work. You know, maybe there was a big balloon and they blew it all up with water or something, right? And then they okay. put the bricks on, t- on top of the balloon, right, and glued them on together to make the dome shape and then they deflated the balloon within oh that's pretty interesting right i mean i think that's I like, the only way i like what you're pitching me there like pretty much every stadium in the world kind of was created in that manner it makes sense that there would have to be a giant balloon to go with the giant dome mm-hmm. yeah so that's that's one theory um i don't know if ancient peoples had big balloons but okay so I've sort of got an explanation for this. Okay. Um, it kind of runs counter to your theory, but I think they can kind of go- coexist. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so so what I'm proposing is sort of, uh, I guess what we'll call a mathematical D um, for a dome force. Um, and the deal with this dome force is that every time a person uh, thinks of a dome, a new dome is created. Um and so, so this dome force sort of acts against gravity, um, 
and and uh it's kind of uh subject only to that um except it instead of gravity it is it, it is powered by the human mind that makes sense um, yeah because you know before there was domes no one had thought of a dome exactly and now that more people think of domes there's tons of domes yeah when leonardo da vinci was creating the dome he just thought of a dome and there it was mm-hmm. and now when and, and thought, they thought of domes yeah and like you know we're we're famous for being reckless on this podcast and we do no research but i am you know pretty sure that i'm the first person to have devised this dome force yeah not actually that makes more sense because my balloon theory doesn't really account for the the increase in domes in throughout history oh oh ring ring what's that sorry nick i just got off the phone uh the Nobel prize people just called me uh they gave me three of them for my work in in dome force theory well yeah you know no prizes are like domes you just you think of them and there they are <laughs> nick do you have a wise quote for us <laughs> to close up the show joe um you know i do because you gave it to me oh that's true this one is from from actually where is it from again joe uh it's from gene Yang's level up which yeah. i talked about last week right right okay and the quote is, we do not regret the sacrifices we make for others, Dennis. Not ever. So it's a very Dennis-targeted quote this week. Yeah. The alternative is, we do not regret the sacrifices we make for Dennis. Not ever. <laughs> Why would I ever regret the sacrifices I made for Dennis? <laughs> hey, 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 look at me. Hey, we never regret the sacrifices we made for Dennis, all right? No matter what. Yeah, man. Out of Our Heads. Thank you for listening to Out of Our Heads, a comics and pop culture podcast from the minds of Joe Border and Nick Protopapis. You can contact us at outofourheadspod at gmail.com, where you can send us letters or tell us about books you want covered on the show. Uh, my Twitter handle is at Joby underscore draws, um, and you can read my webcomic, Aeronaut, at jobydraws.com, but I would prefer that you buy it from my store. Uh, as always, Nick has nothing to promote except for wisdom. We'll be back next week. In the meantime, you can rate and review us on iTunes. It would help us out. Stay safe, and see you next time.